Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Totally Uncalled For. I'm your boy, Jack, and I'm here with my co-host, Dinger. How you doing, brother? Yo, 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 yo! We have a big week in sports, and we're here to tell you all about it. First up, we were talking about the College Football Playoff National Championship. The big bad boys at Bama going up against Clemson, and Clemson took them down. Dinger, what do you say? So we both said Clemson, if you remember earlier on the special Saturday edition podcast that we had. And of course, we were both right. It was not the close game that we thought it would be. I remember we were sitting at Ale House just to stay for the first quarter before we went back to my house, me and a couple of my buddies. And we're like, this is going to be one of the most epic fucking games that all year. It's going to be a fucking 44 to 41 type game. It's going to be great. Alabama was driving the ball down at will. Clemson had that pick six. They had a bunch of great things that happened. And, um, yeah, it, was, it, it looked like it was going to be a great game. I remember the over around the first quarter was like 76 when I think the over under was around 58 to 56 right before kickoff. I know a lot of people were betting the under. It started around 60 and dropped all the way down. But, yeah, Clemson totally dominated. Nick Saban and it was something I wasn't accustomed to watching and a lot of it seemed I mean yeah Tua did look out match but stupid play call or stupid play call usually you see Bama is the type of team that lets you throw the ball in between the 20s and drive the ball down your field and once you get to the red zone it's that there's a no it's a no for you right there and they sort of Clemson sort of flipped the switch on Bama this game and Bama was a team that couldn't convert in the red zone you had that stupid fourth down run on like fourth and six where Tua basically just like tried to run the ball in and got obviously destroyed. Then they had a stupid play call on a fourth and six yeah. on a fake field goal when their field goal kicker has sucked all year. So I don't know what they were trying to fool there. Both, I mean, you should have just thrown the ball, given it to your best player and let him go. And even though I was saying Clemson, I was all on Clemson, the entire fucking week telling everybody Clemson, Clemson, Clemson. I fucking ended up to still lose money on the fucking game because <laughs> I'm a lick. So I, I put in I put in a like an average size bet for Clemson like earlier, like earlier in the week, and was thinking about like going all in on Clemson, like even money line. And just I just started reading stuff and listening to everybody else, which you should never do if you have a gut feeling or you just think a game is gonna be close or in a good game. And I ended up taking a stupid Alabama first quarter bet, which looked like it was going to be really good. But, like, they got the first down when the first down was on the three-yard line. And it's so funny because I was telling one of our other boys, I was like, hey, like, I think it's going to hit. I think Bama's going to be up by, like, a few points. And Clemson's going to be in the red zone and then score after the first quarter ends. And, of course, Alabama was a team that was down by a few points and scored literally the next play after the third quarter. I was clearly heated. Uh, I made a few good bets, though. I had a, a play over 56 yards, and literally um, less than two minutes into the game, it happened on, like, a 63-yard bomb to a through. It happened maybe – I think there was a bunch of 56-yard plays, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, right uh, yeah. There was big play after big play after big play. That was that game was exciting on offense from the Clemson side. Yeah, and – and I wanted to put a lot on that, too. And instead, I fucking put a stupid Hunter Renfro bet in over four receptions. 
I've looked at some trend where he has had over eight receptions in every game that they've matched up in so far. And obviously that didn't hit either. And then I did the dumbest fucking thing possible at halftime. I tried to thread the needle. So I fucking bet Bama second half. And we all know how that happened. Red zone trip after red zone trip after red zone trip. It was sort of a disappointing final. One, because Bama didn't look good. And two, because it looked like from the beginning it was going to be such a good game. And Clemson just dominated. They have a new Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. And Trevor Lawrence, He first of all, he looks like Jesus. From the images that we've seen from G, of pe- what people depict Jesus to have looked like, he has that long hair that's just unnaturally straight. He looks reminds me of like Sunshine from Remember the Titans. I've seen people comparing him to Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, dude, dude looks like an alien. And G- goddamn, like I said at the beginning of the season, if you don't remember in a couple group chats, Jack. I was saying Trevor Lawrence is going to be the next big thing. I was saying it before the game. I said Trevor Lawrence is going to be a once-in-a-lifetime product. He is Peyton Manning with a pocket with mobility. And he sort of looked apart. Obviously, he's a 19-year-old kid. So I wasn't expecting that much out of him. But to go to Bama, throw for three touchdowns, 347 yards, and deep ball after deep ball on third down, he had something absurd like, eight for nine and 200 and like something yards and two touchdowns. The kid could flat out play. And he showed us on the biggest stage of the year, why, why he was worth the number one overall quarter quarterback recruit going yeah. into the game. There, um, I don't think I have much else to say on top of that, but uh, I will say this. It's crazy how Trevor Lawrence flipped the switch in the beginning of the game. He started off looking really bad. He was overthrowing screen passes out of bounds, sailing the receivers. He was looking terrible. They could not move the ball. If if that if not for that pick six in the beginning, this could have been a totally different narrative, and who knows what could have happened. Saving with a big lead to start the game, there's not much that you can do to stop that. This could have been a totally different narrative, but Trevor Lawrence, he calmed down. He came back too. He realized that he didn't have to do this all on his own. That's one thing that uh, I think it was Dabo Sweeney said in, uh, in, in pregame. He was like, there was, they asked him, like, what's one piece of advice they get, that you would give him? And it was like, just remember that you don't have to do this yourself. Your team around you, your teammates, they're going to help you out. And it showed that team is an elite, that has elite football players, all of which are going to be top draft picks on that defensive side. They look stout. Like you said, red zone trip after red zone trip. First and goal. Next thing you know, fourth and goal. They were bowing the neck. They did not let up any red zone touchdowns, it looked like, in the beginning of the game. On top of that, Bama, they just looked out coached, honestly. And I can't believe we're saying that about Saban, bro. Dabo, that man came to play, and he really is one of the top coaches in this league. And Clemson is going to be a dynasty, I think, from here on out. Yeah, I think the cream of the crop in college football is going to be Clemson and Bama. Unfortunately, it's sort of turning into the Cavaliers versus the the Warriors dynamic, except these two teams are more evenly matched than those two. And I think we're going to see Clemson versus Bama, Clemson versus Bama, maybe Clemson versus another team, Bama versus another team in the years to come. And yeah, it makes for great football. And it's always good to have the two best teams playing each other, but I don't know how good it's going to be for college football as a whole if it's the same two teams playing the championship like three to four years in a row. I'm sure Clemson fans and Bama fans are going to be thrilled about that, but 
it's usually not best for a league as a whole to have continuously the same teams over and over again. And that's what makes Mm -hmm. the NFL so great is, yeah, I mean, the Patriots seem to always be there, but they haven't even made it half the time since in the Bill Belichick era, era, I believe. Tom Brady has five Super Bowls. They've lost two. They've lost three, actually, now against the Eagles. So they've been to eight, and Brady's been playing for forever. So they haven't even attended half the Super Bowls. And, I mean, yeah, you get you always have them in there in the AFC championship game and everything, but it, the football, NFL is just always wide open every year. A lot of the times it's not the team that you think is going to win it is going to win it. And I hope that doesn't – the fate of college football isn't what it is in the NBA where we pretty much know who the top teams are going to be every year. We pretty much know who's going to win yeah. the championship But the one thing year. that comes down to with college football that is so different from the pro sports is recruiting. And – the, the best teams can recruit the best players, and that's how this happens in college football. I mean, yeah, it, it's sort of hard when you have Nick Saban and he walks into your house and he says, hey, son, you want to play in the NFL? Obviously, your answer is yes. That's what you've been working for your whole life. That's what you dreamed of when you were a little kid. And you have – I mean, I don't have numbers in front of me, but just going off the top of my head – I swear Bama has the most players drafted every single year. And I feel like you have the best shot of going pro and being a high draft pick if you're on Bama or even Clemson. So that recruiting tool on its own saying, I get players into the NFL. You want to go to the NFL? Mm-hmm. Come play for me. And with, with that dynamic, it's, they're always going to be steps ahead mm-hmm. of everybody else. And also, both teams are situated in the South, which – has the highest amount of football talent yeah. in the country. You got Florida and Texas two. are the top two teams. And I think Georgia is top two or the top two. California's maybe third. And then Georgia, Alabama, all those other Southern schools are still in the top 10 as well. So they're just getting so much homegrown talent. And it, it's hard to get those players away from the SEC schools, away from the FSUs, U.S., and now Clemson. Alabama, Georgia's, and Clemson's. Clemson's. So, yeah, I mean, it, we're going to be seeing this for definitely, some time. Yeah. Definitely. I do sort of want to touch on real quick before mm-hmm. we move on, Jack, is the stadium looked empty. Where was this played? San Francisco? I don't think it's. It was played in San Francisco, which isn't really known to be a good college football town. I mean, I don't know if they're really a sports town, if anything. That's just like a bunch of rich tech guys over there. Anyway, it's just when the Pac-12 is irrelevant for so long, it takes all those West Coast teams, their interest away from college football. And I think if college football is going to flourish and be widely popular around the whole country – you need to get a good Pac-12 team again. Primarily, USC needs to be back at the yeah. height of its power that it once was for college football to be bright, brought back. We now have Texas back in question in quotation marks, but and that's great for college football. They're a huge power, but we I want to see a West Coast team step up and become a legitimate power, and not just a team that sneaks in there get bounced and gets bounced in the first round like Washington had that yeah, one year. I agree. Pac-12 is kind of irrelevant in my opinion, but who knows. Um, let's, uh, let's move on to, our, to the NFL. Let's shift over from college to the NFL, Dan. Let's talk about some of the latest and 
newest hires and fires in the NFL of the head coaching and some of the promotions going on. Um, there's a lot going on in the NFL, a lot of grumblings on new hires, where they're going to be. What do you have to say about some of the latest ones there? So I guess the whole new thing in the NFL is hiring the young, <laughs> good-looking offensive coordinator, head coach, you know. You got Sean McVay, you got Kyle Shanahan, you got Matt Nagy. I mean, honestly, if you were a coach on the 2012 Washington Redskins, there's a good chance you're going to get a head coach coaching job. You had Sean McVay as a tight ends coach then. You had Kyle Shanahan as offensive coordinator. And then you had Matt LaFleur as a quarterback coach. And now all three have head coaching jobs. And I think a funny thing that happens is, is if your name is Matt, you have an even <laughs> better job of coaching. Because the NFC North now has three coaches that with the first name Matt. So that, that's also a funny dynamic to look at. Obviously, that doesn't really have to do anything with your coaching ability. But yeah, you see a lot of these young hires. You got Cliff Kingsbury, who got fired from Texas Tech, was seemingly at USC for a day. And then all of a sudden, gets a head coaching job from Arizona. It, it seems sort of odd how you can fail in the Big 12 as an offensive coordinator when they don't play well, defense in the Big 12. You get fired if, for it. Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously. Let me stop you there. I don't know if Kingsbury has failed in the in, in Big 12. I mean, he I did get say, fired, but um, he definitely he, – he coached – He hadn't really done anything if you great. Recall, Dinger, if you recall, Bigger, uh, Bigger Mayfield had his freshman year at Texas Tech, and he was player yeah, of the year. I know he has a few big – he has a few big quarterbacks. Mahomes. He was offensive coordinator for Texas A&M during Johnny Manziel's reign. I was about to get to that. He brought it. He was the one who found the homes and had him playing. But at the same time, I, I just don't know how you can get fired from a job in college. And then all of a sudden, it seems like we want this guy to be in the NFL. And I think it's just because he fits the narrative of under 40, good looking offensive coordinator, innovative offense. So, I mean, let's see if that works well, out. Man, I mean, and then you got Matt I mean, LaFleur. If good looking is a, uh, a a box that they have to check to get a job in the NFL, I don't think either of us have a good shot in hell for that. I don't know, Jack. You're a pretty good looking kid, man. Up, no sweet. homo. <laughs> anyway, moving on, moving on to Matt LaFleur. This was surprising. For the Packers job. This was surprising. Because, yes, he was the Rams' offensive coordinator last year and did a good job, was number one, brought them from, I think, maybe last in points under Jeff Fisher to first in points. But we all know who ran the show over there. It was Sean McVay, and that's sort of why he left that offensive coordinator job to go to the Titans to be their offensive coordinator. Because, yeah, he was there, but it was just a title that he held because everybody knows Sean McVay runs the offense. He runs the show over there, and he went to the Titans and. It was a pretty yeah. underwhelming performance. I believe he were in, they were in the mid-20s in almost every offensive statistical category. I think maybe time of possession was something that they did pretty above average in. I don't know if it was anything special from what I had seen. And then the Packers decided to hire, hire him. Yeah, he fits the mold as young, innovator, offensive coordinator. And then he also served on the 2012 Washington Redskins as the quarterback coach. And he's worked with a lot of young talent, I would say. And I guess the Packers decided that, hey, this is going to be the guy who comes in and holds Aaron Rodgers accountable, which is impossible. 
unless you're Nick Saban or Bill Belichick. And I don't think either of them would even want to have to deal with a massive black hole sucking ego that Aaron Rodgers <laughs> has. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he was a terrible hire, but at the same time, I feel like the Packers could yeah, have done I, better. I heard his, and then, I heard his press yeah. conference and he's not too well-spoken. He might, I don't know if he was just a little nervous or what it was. He just sounded a little off. I was like, Honestly, this is this kind of guy is the kind of guy that uh, Aaron Rodgers can just walk all over, and if that's the case, it's going to be mayhem in that locker room. And coming from the Titans, an underwhelming offense, and I don't, this this hire kind of surprised me. Titans had there was a lot of high hopes for the Titans this year and, and last year, and um, this year was after last year's performance in the playoffs. They thought this year would definitely be a repeat of that. And they just fell flat. They couldn't get – Derrick Henry started to the end of the year. They were very underwhelming. This hire by the Packers was very surprising to me. Yeah, and then um, and then another hire that I really liked, not more so because the hire itself, just because Vic Fangio is no longer on the Bears. He was the leader of that defense. He brought them from – not the best group. They drafted well. They got a bunch of talent. And this year, they were by far and away, in my opinion, the best defense. Maybe not the best statistically in every category, but they were first in takeaways. They were top five in nearly every single category. And they just looked faster, bigger, and stronger than everybody else. And now the now Vic Fangio is going to be taking control of the Devon Broncos. Um, they, I believe – yeah. I. The thing about the Denver Broncos that just – I don't really get is they had an opportunity to get Kyle Shanahan right when they, and they decided to hire Vance McDonald instead. Obviously Vance McDonald is out the door. Big Fangio is a great defensive mind. He's a, I feel like somebody who can take control of a locker room, a respected hard nosed type coach. But at the same time, where's your offense going to come from? Because I think the NFL is sort of shifting towards the more offensive-centric head coach. And the, the Broncos were the only team of all these new hires that didn't hire that type of head coach. So I, I'm curious to see if how this plays out. It could work out. I could be wrong. Um, Vic Banjo is a great coach, in my opinion. So this could end up working out, but it's just something I want to keep an eye on to see. How are the Denver Broncos doing? What what are their weaknesses? Do they become a top five defense next year again? And their offense is still the same bland old shit it was last year? Or do they be or do they slightly improve an offense and the defense is just incredible? And they sort of get a performance how the uh, 2015 Denver Broncos did with not a knock that yeah. so good. Payment. It looks like the Broncos are gonna try to build around Vaughn Miller, in my opinion. They got the franchise guy there with him. They got a tough defense at times. Um, yeah, they got Bradley, Bradley Chubb. Chubb. They've got Chris Harris yeah, Jr. They got they some young pieces there going with uh, Vaughn Miller. So it looks like they're doubling down on that defense. And I think they're going to come out next year and have and, and maybe they'll improve a little bit because that defense is kind of vanilla. Like they got Case Keenum, and he's whatever. He's shown that. 
I mean, maybe. Thomas, but they need to get some receivers. Yeah, they already got rid of Demarius Thomas. Yeah. Like, they got Philip Lindsay, who he might – he's going to regress next year. Like, in my opinion, I, I don't know how he was able to slip through the cracks and be an undrafted rookie and make it to the Pro Bowl. Like, that's insane. So, who knows what's going to happen there. I sort of see – I sort of see in the future Philip Lindsay having a, a Jordan Howard type – next few years where he's still a top back borderline pro bowler, but he never really makes the next step that you think he does. Obviously I'm not comparing him as a runner to Jordan Howard. I'm just saying a similar type career to where he's getting close to a thousand yards every season, but he's just not making that next step, turning him into a star. He's just a good solid back. And that's just what I think Phil Lindsay is going to be. But, yeah, shifting gears from the Denver Broncos, I want to talk about probably my favorite hire, the Bucks hiring yeah. Bruce Arians. I've always thought Bruce Arians is. is a great coach. He's one of those hard-nosed, strict coaches. He runs a great offense. He's a great offensive mind. He was the backbone to that Colts team when uh, Chuck Pagano was sick and he took over. He really – toughened the identity of that team and brought that team to where they were in Andrew Luck's first year in the playoffs. And then after he left, they were not really as good as they were when they still had Bruce Arians. So, He's a great football guy. And also just looking guy. back, yeah, and looking – great football guy. He, I heard a story on another podcast, PMT, about the time that he uh, drank paint because he's lactose intolerant and saw his brother drinking milk and always wanted to drink milk but knew he couldn't. So instead was drinking white paint, pretending it was milk, and got a stomach twice, stomach pump twice on two mm. separate occasions. So that's a little funny tidbit. But, yeah, I think if anybody can get the best out of Jameis and put his, get his ass in line, get him to stop throwing balls up like prayers and get him to stop raping Uber drivers and Dealing helpless women. I think the guy that they the, – yeah, stealing crab legs, the guy that – to do it would be Bruce Arians. And I think he's going to be a great hire for the Bucks. And I think they sort of chose him because this is a year for Jameis. And uh, Bruce Arians, because he didn't draft Jameis, would be ready to get rid of him like that. I just snapped my fingers if you can't hear that, guys. But he'd be ready to get rid of Jameis. He's not his draft pick. So I think they brought him to get the best out of Jameis. And if he can't get the best out of Jameis, nobody can. And then Jameis is gone next year. So I, I really like this pickup. This is my favorite pickup so far. I've been hearing whispers that Todd Bowles will be the new defensive coordinator at the Jets. Todd Bowles, not the greatest head coach, but he can coach defense. So I think the Bucs are going to look a lot better next year. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're a sneaky wildcard team considering the pieces they have on offense. Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson, Chris Godwin. They yeah, have the, didn't Deshaun this, Jackson say he The rookie out? they drafted this year. Didn't... Let Bruce Arians talk to him for a little bit, and maybe he might change his mind. That's for dang uh, Shifting gears, I want to talk about a, a new hire that kind of uh, rubbed me the wrong Rubbed you the wrong way? way. I, I know where say. this is going. The Browns. What the hell are they doing? Not, not hiring the interim head coach to a long, to a – to a deal like what the hell is that about he did great so so this is i haven't actually told you this yet i was like save for the pod here for the pod i'll talk to you in the pod so my reasoning behind this is 
One, the defense towards the end of the year was sort of uninspiring. Maybe that was because of the extra duties that Greg Williams was taking on as the head coach, the day-to-day tasks, the planning, et cetera, et cetera. But the real change that we saw with the Browns toward the end of the season was the play of Baker Mayfield. And I believe that coincides with Freddie Kitchens being promoted to the head play caller after they fired their offensive coordinator, the old guy from the Steelers. I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. Got into a fight at Cow- – his wife and him got in a fight at Cowboys in Nashville. Whatever. Um, so, Freddie Kitchens brought that offense, and they played a lot better. Baker Mayfield was looking like one of the best first-round quarterbacks towards the end of the season last year. He broke a rookie record for touchdowns, even though he didn't play the first couple of games. was just on fire. And I think that they liked that connection between him and Freddie Kitchens so much that they wanted to put Freddie Kitchens as the head coach. And with the dynamic of having a guy that used to be your boss and now you're his boss, that could sometimes rub people the wrong way. And I think that was a dynamic that the Browns really didn't want to have to deal with, with hiring Greg Williams back as the defensive coordinator, especially in the defense. It wasn't bad, but it was nothing special. And I, I ultimately think that's why they kept Freddie Kitchens and let Greg Williams go. Well, because you know how a lot of times if you get like a management – we know how one of our buddies' companies works, but it's like a management trainee program. You train in a different, bunch of different locations. And after you finish your program, they promote you at a separate location because they don't really want that dynamic of people teaching you how to do your job, doing certain things, and eventually you end up being their boss when you were under them originally. So I, I sort of see that, that as that the whole narrative, why the Browns. I mean, if this guy got them to win more games than the prior head coach got them to win in the last like three seasons, how are you going to say that? How are you going to discount everything besides? Like, how are you going to discount that? Is what I'm getting at. Like, the man definitely got the team to rally around. And Greg Williams wasn't running the offense. Rally around him just because he's a defensive-minded coach. Was it him or was it Baker? Ba- you're, you're saying. I mean. I don't know. I wasn't in that locker room, but I. Neither was I. I wish Hard Knocks was going on during the season so we could actually see who and what were the reasons. Those are answers left unsolved. I'm just mm-hmm. giving my two cents on to why I think the situation happened the way it did. And I'm, I'm sure something along the lines of it, it played out. Because if Greg Williams was a great leader, rallied the troops, inspired Baker Mayfield to play and everything like that, I think they would have brought him back and not Freddie Kitchens. From the way things have been working out in that locker room, it sort of seems like Freddie Kitchens was the mastermind between the play calling and the connection between him and Baker. And I'm sure Baker had the general manager's ear, John Dorsey's ear, and maybe just say, maybe not saying fire Greg Williams, but I want Freddie Kitchens to be the head coach. And ultimately, that's ended up what happening. Well... I've also, and away from the Browns, I've been hearing whispers that Mike McCarthy has his eyes set only on the Jets job and he wouldn't accept a head coaching position. The man's getting paid for the next year, even though he's not coaching. So he can afford to sit a couple years out. The dude makes, well, made a hell of a lot of money. So I think I could see him, if he doesn't get that Jets job, him waiting for a job that he wants to hire. He has a resume. He has a Super Bowl. I don't think that he would be a coach that doesn't get hired. And take a look at John Harbaugh. I've been hearing that John Harbaugh might get traded for like two second rounders or something along the lines of that. And 
I've been hearing that the Dolphins are a team that are heavily interested in trading for John Harbaugh's services. Yeah, it's happened before. The Tampa Bay Bucks did it for John Gruden, and they ended up winning a Super Bowl. Trade for a coach. Wow. That's awesome. Well, I remember, Jack, didn't you have a good coach story that you wanted to share? Good coach story. Refresh my memory. Sean Payton? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I saw this tweet earlier. I'm not sure if it's true, but I really swear to God, I fucking hope it is. So let me pull it up. This man is an absolute lunatic if this is true. So supposedly yesterday, four armed guards entered the Saints locker room. Coach Sean Payton wheeling the Lombardi trophy on top of $225,000 in cash. Coach said, y'all want this? Go win three fucking games. And the locker room erupted. 225k is their is their bonus for winning a Super Bowl. If that is true, if I'm in that locker room, I'm absolutely ready to fucking kill someone and run through a brick wall at the same time. Like that is absolutely epic, Dinger. Like, what would you do if you were in that locker room and that was going down? I would be, I'd be erupting like the rest of the goddamn team, dude. I'd be like, yeah, let's fucking go, let's fucking go, man. Like I, I'd be freaking out, dude. Two hundred twenty-five grand, a Lombardi trophy on top of it. Fuck yeah, I'd want to win. That would inspire me. That would get me super hyped. But at the same time, it sort of seems like they're overlooking the Eagles and thinking about a Lombardi trophy. And the Eagles are a team that thrives off this energy. I guarantee you, they're going to be posting this all in the Eagles locker room, saying they're discounting us. They don't think we can win. And We'll get to that in our picks later in a later section. For sure, for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely crazy if true. But I don't know if I see Sean Payton like that. But um, let's let's go and talk about our, our picks from last week for Wild Card Weekend. Um, we did okay. I mean, yeah, I believe we both yeah, went two one and one. Crazy how we pushed on that Seahawks uh, Cowboys game. Very disappointing that my team lost. Uh, Seahawks. Kind of got fucked in the beginning with Janikowski going down. I mean, granted, we did go for two twice because of that. We got it both times. Yeah, I get it. But uh, it, was just, it just changed the dynamic of the game, I think, Dinger. That was a tough one. Yeah. I mean, so we both hit bullets on the Colts bet. We were both super oh, yeah. confident about the Hammer Colts. Down. We were both super confident about the Chargers. We were both skeptical about betting on the Bears. Um, And then I was on the Cowboys and you were on the Seahawks. And, of course, I ended up not being able to get the the minus two line that we talked about on the podcast. I actually got the minus two and a half and lost because Janikowski, fat fucking ass, hurt himself on one of his kicks that he missed early in the game. And they had to go for two, obviously. They got two both times. And... Ended up mm-hmm. losing for me and winning for a lot of the lucky people to get Seahawks plus two and a half. But yeah. I just think that that was I – mean, we're going to get more into analysis when we make our picks for next week, but that's the, – the mid, Dallas is the better team. They had Russ, and at the same time, Dak Prescott's not a great quarterback, but he's good yeah, he in the biggest moments of the game. And – and he, he didn't make mistakes, and he was big when it mattered. Key third downs, he converted them. Late in the game, they needed a big play. He ran up the middle for fucking, what, like 14, 19 yards on like a third and 13, 
and converted the first down and ended up getting the touchdown the next play. So, yeah, I, 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 the Cowboys played really well and did exactly what I thought. And uh, Russ just went down the field and drove the ball down the field and got that two-point conversion mm-hmm. to cover the spread and push our spread that in quotation marks that we had yeah. on this podcast. Yeah, it was really disappointing for me. Uh, I really don't understand what kind of onside kick that was at the end from our all-pro punter. But uh, granted, that's why he's a punter and not a kicker. It, it, yeah, I mean, but dude, if you think about it, I feel like that with this new rule, I feel like that's the way that you would, should recover an onside kick is you just pound the ball into the ground and pop it up 10 to 15 yards, like high as fuck, 10 to 15 yards right in front of the line of scrimmage. And it's going to be an all-out war zone to get that ball. You can't fair catch it. It's within the legal rules. He just sailed it a little too far where it landed right in the dude's hand and he was able to get on the ground, cover the ball up, and yeah. end the game. Right Very there. disappointing. But um, some of one of the, the ones that we hit, it was the Chargers and the Colts, right, that we both nailed? Yeah, so the Colts game, um, pretty much we just said, I, I went on a huge rant hyping up Andrew Luck, calling him MVP, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the, in the game right up. now. And the, he showed up at, like the first three drives, 21-0. I don't know if the Colts really scored again. I think they dominated time mm-hmm. of possession. They had uh, Marlon Mack, shout out. Shout out our boy who played with them in high school. Uh, just running around all over the field. And the Colts clearly were the better team. They clearly decided to win. At the same time, you have Deshaun Watson, who's running for a first down when they're down 21 to fucking zero with like 10 minutes left to play. Throwing his hand, throwing first down signals. Like, dude, you guys are fucking down. You're going to lose this game and you're out here throwing your first down hand signals. Come on, man. I'm all down for the emotion and everything, but when you're fucking down by that <laughs> many points, you, you sort of yeah. just need to show a yeah, little bit more professionalism class. and go out there and right. lose us some right. class, yeah. So other than that, that, that's all my notes for that game. And then you had the Chargers game. It was sort of like a defensive showdown. I really like how the Chargers – I mean, the Chargers are one of the few teams with the personnel to do this, but they decided to replace their linebackers with safeties with speed that can tackle – and it large, and they're like, we're not going to get beat on the edge. And they sort of not like shut down Lamar Jackson's legs, but at the same time, they're going to tackle for a loss, tackle for a loss. And I, I heard something on another podcast, and it was something like, whenever Ronnie Stanley, one of the tackles for the Ravens, has his had his foot back farther, it was a hundred percent of the time a pass, and. The Ravens were, I mean, and the Chargers were able to key on Ronnie Staley and entirely be able to tell if he was going to be a run play or a pass play mm-hmm. each and every fucking down. And if there's a psychological advantage or a mental advantage that you have over another team, that's one if I've ever seen it. And uh, the Chargers clearly exploited it and looked like the way better team. Lamar Jackson scored those late points in garbage time, but a good fourth quarter doesn't make up for – a fucking dreadful yeah, first three it's crazy. Sort of reminded me of Tim Tebow entirely, where he's the worst quarterback in the NFL the first three quarters, and then out of nowhere in the fourth quarter, they just start playing like crazy. What? Oh, dang to it. no avail. Sorry. Sorry to cut you off. Breaking news. Jets hired Adam Gase. Adam – wow. I just got that wow. too. I like to hire – I don't think – I think Adam – I think Adam Gates should have stayed another year in yeah. 
Miami and they should have yes. gotten rid of Tannehill. But not a bad hire. That was fucking crazy. You got a young quarterback with a solid offensive mind, Adam Gase. I'm excited to see what they are going to do. And I'm sure that Adam Gase is going to bring in a lot of weapons to that team because right now they have none aside from Robbie Anderson. But, yeah, overall, I really do like to hire Adam Gase. is going to be a pretty solid head coach. And if anybody's going to – and if uh, – the quarterback is going to learn the tutelage of under anybody. I think Adam Gates is yeah. a good guy yeah. to do it. I don't know what this means for Mike McCarthy now, but I guess it means that he's kind of got to find another place to go or ride the pine. But uh, let's look yeah. forward now. Let's look forward to this next week's matchups in the NFL, some of the new playoff matchups. Um, who we got? We got – Let's start with the Colts versus Chiefs, the first game on I the like slot. It. I like it. What's the line on that, Daniel? Do you know off the top of your head? I think the, the Colts are – I think yeah. five and a half. I, five and a half or four and a half off the top of my head. I will pull it up right now. I mean, in my opinion, while you're pulling that up, so, I'm just going to touch on this a little bit. It's five and a half. Colts five plus and a half. five and I a half. Andrew Luck is going to shred apart that defense. Um, is Eric Berry playing? I mean, I know he came back earlier, but is he still is he still back? I don't even know what the deal is with him. Apparently, apparently he is going to play, but he hasn't know, played but... all season. He missed most of last season. Yeah, he's what is was one of the best safeties in the league. But at the same time, is the rust going to fall off in your yeah, first game of the season in the playoffs? Probably not. Yeah. Not against. I think Andrew Luck is going to tear him apart. apart. Yeah. Uh, so I think that the inexperience of Patrick Mahomes, although he is an electric quarterback, the MVP of this league. I think having a win by five and a half points against the hottest team, the NFL in Indianapolis with the hottest quarterback in the NFL. And in my opinion, one of the best quarterbacks remaining currently in the NFL playoffs. I think that the Colts might win this game outright. I'm going to stick with the points here at plus five and a half. I'm on Colts plus five and a half, but I, we both said that this is the most one of the most dangerous wild card teams, and at the same time, I Marlon Max also there's a click clicking. Just watching the highlights of Quentin Nelson, the All Pro guard. I already think he's the best guard in the NFL as a rookie. Sort of as sort of how like Zach Martin was yeah. with the Cowboys. Although Zach Martin still could give him a run for his money, yeah. although he's been a little banged up this year. But I like Indianapolis plus five and a half. I like them to cover the spread. And honestly, I like them to yeah. win outright, especially with the woes that the Kansas City Chiefs have had in the first round of the playoffs. I guess this isn't technically the first round of the playoffs, but it's the first game. And Andy Reid is a great regular season coach, but not the best postseason coach. And what Frank Reich has done with this offense and this whole team in general just gets me really excited for this game. The under and over, the under and over in this game – it's 57, and I'd like that to be over because the Chiefs are going to get theirs, and I think the Colts are as well. I see like a 34 to 31 game. Colts. Yeah, I have, I'm all over the Colts plus five and a half. I think right now with a team as hot as the Colts are and Andrew Luck is right now, and they're getting points, you got to take them. Granted, it is against one of the highest powered offenses in the league right now in the Chiefs in Arrowhead. I mean, that's tough to bet against, but – you know, with with like you said, with Mahomes' inexperience in the playoffs, and 
how hot Andrew Luck is right now, you got to take those points. And in my opinion, if you want to lay off, if you don't think five and a half is enough and you want to gamble on the Chiefs to the score first, I would maybe even wait for that live line, get it at like plus eight and a half or so after a touchdown by the Chiefs to start the game off. Because you know it's going to be a shootout. You know that the Chiefs are going to come ready to play. They're going to be throwing the ball. They're going to be running those plays to uh, to Tyreek Hill, trying to get him going, get those wheels turning. It's going to be tough. But at the end of the day, I think the Colts' defense has been hot. If I'm not mistaken, they've been playing pretty well. They definitely showed up last game. Um, and that offense's line is fucking crazy. Like you said, um, whatever that guy's name is out of, um, out of Notre Dame, Quinn. But um, – Anyways, I definitely got to take the Colts in this matchup. So we have a green right yeah, there with the definitely, Colts. Definitely, definitely lock that one in. So, Let's stay with the AFC. All right. Let's go with the uh, the. You want to stay with the AFC? Patriot, All right. Let's Patriots start with Chargers, the correct? Patriots with Chargers. Yep. So the line in this game is minus four Patriots, and I am all over the Patriots yeah. in this game. I know we talked about how we like the Chargers as a surprise team to go to the Super Bowl. But the Patriots have been to an insane amount, like eight or nine consecutive AFC championship games. And I see this trend going. I see this line, and I see that Vegas is begging you to bet on the Chargers. Begging you to bet on the Chargers. And I know Colin Cowherd sort of talked about this a little bit too, but I, I was over the Patriots before I heard him talk about it, and I'm on the Patriots now. Tom Brady is currently – has not lost one game to any of the current quarterbacks remaining in the AFC. Has not lost one game. We know that the Patriots are a fucking wagon. Denying <laughs> Chef, the machine, they always show up in the playoffs. We always try to question them to say, are they still the same team? Can they do it again? Yes, the same team. They could do it again. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I would be surprised if they lost. I wouldn't be shocked if they lost. But at, but at the same time, the Patriots just don't lose. They haven't lost. They're the only team to go undefeated at home this season. Yeah, the Chargers were the better away team. But in Gillette Stadium, in the playoffs, this is what the Patriots live for. In the playoffs, situational football matters. And there is no team better than the Bill Belichick, Tom Brady-led New England Patriots in situational mm-hmm. football. And for that reason, I like the Patriots to win by a touchdown and give me the minus four. A lot of these spreads are really big. This one's the smallest spread of the week, I believe so. And give me the Patriots minus four. I'm all all over the Patriots. How about you? This one's tough for me because on one hand, I'm going to paint two pictures for you. On one hand, we have Phillip Rivers, an amazing quarterback who has had a great career, stat sheet filler. But he could never get it done in the playoffs. He can never get past Tom Brady. But now he's got his shot. His team wins 12 games in their wild card team. They're playing now in the, the second round of the playoffs against the Patriots, an aging Tom Brady. Is this the chance that he gets to overcome him and get that W? On the other hand, the narrative continues. Tom Brady is still Tom Brady, and he smacks him like the little child that he is. I don't know. I really don't know. But at the end of the day, I think Philip Rivers is all right because he's going home to make another kid with his wife. But I'm with you on this. Yeah, the only thing that Philip Rivers is afraid of is a con. He's afraid. 
And birth control. I don't know, Dinger. I don't know. But I think I'm with you on this one. We might have to be in agreement again. I can definitely see. I, don't, I just I just don't see Tom Brady and Bill Belichick losing at home in Foxborough in the playoffs. I just don't see that happening. So I'm going to have to go with the Patriots on this one. If you say it's at minus four, I think i got to jump on that because I think you can see that going up. Yeah, it was at four and a half earlier this week, and now it's down to minus four. So, yeah, I, I like the Patriots yeah. minus four. So uh, let's shift over to the NFC now. We got – let's start with the uh, – the Cowboys yeah. versus the Rams. I honestly, I mean, Cowboys, they've been looking hot. Their defense is on point. Zeke is on fire. I mean, having a great season. And if Dak can just do what he did last week and not have any mistakes like he did and throw the ball well, they might have a chance. What do you say? The Cowboys, yeah, I'm I'm all over the Cowboys plus seven even money on this. I just remember how the Rams ended the season, and I remember what the Rams looked like against the Falcons in the playoffs last year. It looked sort of uninspiring, and honestly, the defense hasn't looked good for the Rams. You got Aaron Donald up in the middle, and and Donald and Sue could wreak, wreak havoc and make this game not even close. But at the same time. Dak looks to be playing within the system, and the Cowboys look hot. They have a great defense. They run sideline to sideline. If anybody can stop Todd Gurley in that running game, it's going to be the Cowboys. And I think that that's how the Rams move. They run through Todd Gurley, and I think them not having that third receiving option and Cooper mm-hmm. Cup being injured has definitely hurt this team from the way they looked at the beginning of the season to how they yeah. ended the season. And Marcus Peters doesn't look that good. Akeem Tlaib is old and still hurt from that injury earlier in the season. And I don't think the Cowboys are going to win this game. But give me that touchdown at plus seven. At worst case scenario, I think it pushes. Cowboys plus seven is the yeah, best for me. I definitely agree. I think I'm taking Cowboys plus seven as well. Um, like you said, that, that offense runs through um, Todd Gurley. And look what Cowboys were able to do against Chris Carson last week. Chris Carson has had an amazing season, top five rusher, and he was bottled up for most of the game. Uh, definitely, definitely can see the same thing happening here with the Cowboys. Cowboys can shut down uh, Todd Gurley, make Jared Goff beat you uh, with his arms. Uh, I don't know if he'll be able to do that without uh, Cooper Cup. You know, I mean, they do have weapons with Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, but. This is going to be a tough matchup. If the Cowboys can stay hot like they have been and play how, as well as they did against the Seahawks, I definitely can see this being a tough game for the Rams. Yeah, I, I do as well. I mean, they have the defensive formula and they can control the they can control the ball. I think the Rams' offense is not predictable, but they run a lot of three wide receiver sets, and I think the Cowboys are going to try to exploit that. The Rams just run the three wide receiver, one tight end, the running back in the backfield just over and over again. And I think that this game, if the Cowboys are going to keep it close and win, they're going to have to force a turnover or two. And Dak needs to keep playing mistake three football. And I think with that formula, it gives them a chance to win. And most importantly, it gives them the best chance to cover. Yeah. yeah so. Well, yeah. most importantly so for I'll us. Definitely give me the points in this <laughs> matchup. I guess we're still in agreement here. Uh, let's shift over to the. Eagles and their matchup against the Saints. 
in New Orleans, Superdome, Drew Brees' home turf. Honestly, like, I want to say this is a no-brainer. Saints all the way. I don't know what the spread is, but Foles is hot. Plus eight. Eight? Oh, my God. I mean, Nick Foles is hot. That Eagles team is coming together. I don't know, man. Eight points is a lot to cover. So, yeah. So, let me just give you my two cents on this. This is a game that I least want to bet. But it's the last fucking game. So, obviously, you always end up betting it because you usually roll your money that you won from your previous game or lost on your previous game and you want to chase. And that's what I did last week with the Bears when I said I was laying off, I wasn't betting. I decided to take a live Bears line, minus four and a half. Looked like he was going to cover. And then Nick fucking Foles on fourth down. This is my two cents. I'm going to go with the Eagles here. And I don't really have statistics or much to back it up. I've just lost game after game after game after game after game after game after game. Betting against Nick fucking Foles, especially in the playoffs. Nick Foles has lost me upwards of $1,500 in the playoffs the past two years. <laughs> so, so I am fucking done betting against Nick Foles. If anything, I'm not going to bet it. And if I do, I'm going to take the points. I'm going to take the Eagles plus eight. Plus eight is a massive spread to have in the playoffs. The Eagles, they're now the underdog. They thrive off this underdog mentality. The whole year, they were the favorite. They were the top dog. They weren't. They didn't have that gritty attitude. And I sort of see it back in the head coach is a great play card. They've converted on every single fourth down since the Eagles have been in the playoffs. They fully converted on every single fourth down. They just call play after play. And I don't want to be on the wrong end of this. I, do I think the Eagles are going to win? No, I fucking hope not. Please, Lord God, please don't have them win. But at the end of the day, I, I'm done betting against Nick Foles. Obviously, if I end up betting on him, I'm going to end up losing money. But shit, I don't give a fuck because I hate the goddamn Eagles. They're scum trash, Philly fucking scum trash fans. And yeah, I, I, I guess I'm on the Eagles. Well... To break our streak of agreements here, I'm going to stick with the Saints. I had Drew Brees on my fantasy team this year. He did us well for most of the year. He got us to where we needed to be. He got us to the championship. But the last four weeks, he was flat. Didn't do much. I think he redeems himself. I don't see him going a fifth straight week of mediocrity. At home, in the playoffs, New Orleans on his back. He's the man that brought these these guys out of the gutter. I think he does it, and I think he does it big. I, I think Nick Foles in that locker room, they don't know where he's going next year. And it definitely seems to have caused a bit of a divide. Not much of a – not in the sense that the locker room is divided, but it's just there's so much confusion up in the air. I can definitely see him getting blown out. It's my hot take, but I definitely think Drew Brees at home in the dome, game over. All right, let's hopefully we don't see a push on this one and we can finally have different fucking records. So, so those are our picks. Um, that, that's, Dinger, let's pivot away from sports for a minute. I know you wanted to talk was, yeah. uh, in the finance world, in the, in the news. 
Yeah. Well, see, you know what? I can sort of link this to sports. So as you guys may have heard, Jeff Bezos will no longer be the richest person in the world. I saw that Todd Gurley asked for Jeff Bezos' wife's Instagram so he could slide in those DMs because she's about to be the richest woman in the history of the world and the fifth, fifth or sixth richest person in the world when she takes half of Jeff Bezos' money. I believe that they would both be getting around $69 billion, billion and billion and billions and billions and billions of dollars. So $69 billions, billions, billions of dollars. Jesus Christ, I can't stop saying billion in the it's Trump voice. But anyway, she's about to be having $69 billion for doing nothing but just giving her pussy to Jeff Bezos. <laughs> they were together for 25 years. They got married. Yeah, right? I wish I had one. Um, so they got married right before Jeff Bezos. Right before Jeff Bezos started Amazon. And at some point, Jeff Bezos knew that he was going to be hot shit, knew he was going to be the richest person in the world. I feel like when you're that type of mentality, you know you're going to be successful. And he still didn't sign a prenup. That's rule number one, ladies and gentlemen. gentlemen. Sign a gentleman most, mostly, but hey, there's some ladies out there that got it too. So sign a goddamn prenup. It's it's and nowadays it doesn't matter. It's not as big deal as it used to be anymore. And if the person you love won't sign a prenup, then that's a big red yeah. flag right there. Um, I definitely Straight think up. Jeff Bezos' it, wife, soon to be ex-wife, uh, did a lot more than just give her pussy to him, as you said. Yeah, she's a she's a she's a, actually an award-winning <laughs> novelist. She graduated <laughs> from Princeton as well, so uh, I wouldn't. They met at Princeton, <laughs> so it's not like she's way to give her a lot. Some like supermodel gold digger. They were they were together for 25 years. She was with them through the ups and the downs. So I, I'm not going to be like, she just gave her pussy to him. But at the same time, that was a lot of her duties. <laughs> All right, Dan. Um, before we get further into that rabbit hole there. Um, so obviously nothing's been worked out yet. Nothing's been announced. But it's projected that she would get $69 billion correcting her. Yeah, something along I mean, the lines I know we're of that. And this it's it's going to be it's going to be the largest divorce settlement in the history. Yeah, of when you're the talking world. bees, it's going to be big talk. That's all I gotta say. Yeah, I remember. I thought it was wild when Tiger Woods divorced his wife and she got a hundo mill. This bitch is about to get sixty nine billion. Over a hundred, well over a hundred times, well over a thousand times what Tiger Woods' ex-wife received. So this is going to be something to keep an eye on. Slide up mm-hmm. in those DMs if you're trying to trying to get that get that money, just like Todd Gurley is, even though he already got that money. So yeah, dude, I'm really I'm really excited to see not excited, but I'm curious to see yeah, how this yeah. all pans. Uh talking about bitches cashing in, um Dinger, I know you've been waiting to do this for quite some time. And I'm happy to bring it to yeah. you and to everyone tonight. Dinger, you said you got your top five Instagram models ranked. 
What do you have yep. for us? These are, these are my own personal top five Instagram models that are my current favorite. And you guys need to check all these girls out. There's going to be some names you recognize, especially some of our fans that do know me personally and stuff like that. But starting out at number five, I wanted to make this list a little diverse, not just have the same type of girls over and over again. So I have Allison Parker at number five. This is by far the trashiest girl on the list. She appears in a few shitty pornos on Pornhub. You could see in low quality her sucking a nigga's dick or fucking just throwing that ass back on somebody else. She she really knows how to work it. She posts pictures of her holding her tits and like you can see the sides of her nipples. Uh, shit where like she's just like spread out like in a pretzel just like trying to like so you can see the outline of her puss. Uh, she's just the, the biggest slut on Instagram. And for that, I had to include her on the list. She's got a big butt. Huge titties. I mean, dude, she's so, hot. I'm Allison Parker, number five. What five. are your thoughts, Jack? I mean, do you have her at five just because of how trashy she is? So, I wasn't even going to include her on the list because she doesn't compete with a lot of these girls in terms of overall looks. Her tits are huge, but they're clearly, clearly fake. You, it, you, you don't even, you can't even think to know if they're real or fake. You just look at it immediately and be like, those are nice, those are huge, but they're fake as fuck. And She's just the typical big, busty, like, her trashiness is what bumps her up for me, not what brings her down. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you clarified. Because, because there's another girl on this list that, that could have been the number one spot, but she just sort of misses okay, that trash. Let's see. Who's four? So, so number four. So, in this one, I, I originally had – I originally had – Hannah Palmer in the number four position, a beautiful, nice blonde. But with this list, I wanted to, I needed to pay homage to the first ever Instagram model that I ever followed. And most of us have ever followed Jen Seltzer. I believe she was one of the first people in the game mm -hmm. of the instant model game. She got that nose job, job and instantly became famous. She's a New York girl. Unlike a lot of these girls that are from Miami, from LA, whatever. I think she's the only New York girl yeah. on this list. But I had to give, I had to give her just to pay homage to her just being an OG really Insta model, one of the first. Just, just a beautiful body, a beautiful ass, and you know, I, I just had to pay respect and homage yeah. to, and you know, to that. it is respect because she's actually hasn't gone down the road of a lot of these Instagram girls because she doesn't show the puss really. She doesn't get nude. She's always got clothes on. No, she's stuck to her. She's stuck to her guts. She does a few splits where she's like splitting or doing a yoga pose in her ass and a lot of ass pics. But primarily, it's mostly leggings for her. Obviously, she's got some bikini pics, but she doesn't really flaunt the tits. She's she's stuck to her guns, and it's what made her successful. I agree. Love the pic. You can't you can't compete for a top spot with that, but. She's one of the best at what she does. She's formed a lot of pro health programs and stuff like that, et cetera, et cetera. I definitely agree. She's great. All right. So so coming into my number three, I got Keita S. Henry. K-A-Y-T-A-S-H-E-N-R-Y. Keita S. Henry. She is our my only foreign girl. Not foreign, but exotic looking. She's uh, 
probably a mix between Dominican or Hispanic or African-American, black, whatever. She's beautiful. She's got one of the biggest asses on Instagram. It's natural. It's nice. She's got a gorgeous face. And above all else, she is a Minnesota wow. Vikings fan, which is why she is she has deserved the number three spot. Jack, actually, I don't know if you remember, but over a year and a half, maybe two years ago, you showed me some sexy-ass girl with a Vikings game playing on behind the TV and her just, like, bent over, just ass out, looking all hot. And I was like, wow, I need to follow this chick. I follow this chick, and I have not been disappointed to with what she's shown in the past. She has a few tattoos and little sexy areas on the rib, on her back. And everything like yeah, that. I had an eye for talent. Overall, just a great, just overall, just a great Instagram model. And I am very glad that she has made this list wow. at number three. Nice. At number two, to the surprise, she is not my number one. We have Sierra Sky, the favorite wow. of a lot of our friends. Wow. Sierra Sky. And this is there's this is this is the reason why I had to bump down Sierra Sky. So originally when I had made this list. She had probably like 18 consecutive pictures of her just wearing like nice dressy stuff. Obviously, nothing wrong with that. I mean, she has a beautiful face and a nice tits. They might be fake. I don't know. But she wasn't doing anything like really slutty. She wasn't showing nipples. She wasn't doing anything crazy. It was just the same old frontal pic back, 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 back. And then she started, I wonder if like she listened to the pod or like, listen to our combos or whatever, because she sort of stepped her game up. She started showing more cleavage, started showing more ass. Um, and then she had this one where she was fully nude on the beach, just covering her little tits up. And she looks beautiful. But yeah, I had to put Sierra Sky at number two, because the number one, Jack, the number one is Dynamite. And coming in at number one, I have Lara... MC Warner. <laughs> McCorder. Laura McCorder. Yeah, this girl's beautiful. She is a fucking whole box of dynamite. Josh, this will stick a dynamite. A whole fucking box of dynamite. She fucking lives in Colorado. She might be still be going to school. She's got a nice firm ass, a beautiful face, tits that I think are real. They might be fake, but I don't give a shit. She's just gorgeous. I found her when she was at 12,000 followers on a Discover page. And she's gone and blown that all south out of proportion. And she is now up to 200,000. I have put a lot of my friends onto her. And she has grown. I started seeing her on Old Road, TFM, Barstool Sports, just sexy girls, blah, blah, blah. Just I see her on every each and every page. And she is just blowing up. I'll see her on a page and they'll be like, follow this page and follow these girls out on this page. And they won't even have, they won't even do you the privilege of actually posting her fucking name so that she can get the more followers. And you know what I do for her? I comment on there, be like, for everybody trying to creep her Instagram, this is her actual <laughs> name. And I'll provide it to the public so that, so that they're not being stripped of the privilege to see her beautiful pictures. And with that, my list is over. My list is constantly changing. We might revisit this in a couple of months. We might revisit, revisit it in a year. We might bring somebody on to discuss and bring some counter arguments and other people. But that's my list yeah, right yeah, there, fellas. I'm going to leave the door open for any of our listeners to come on and debate Dinger for this topic. 
anytime you want to come on, you're going to hit our Twitter. The dinger will tell you about it at the end of the end of the show. But uh, one thing I want to talk about, is, I, it's funny how we see these uh, these girls as like athletes and we're like scouting them and shit. Like it's absolutely hilarious what this Instagram has turned this shit into. But that's enough for tonight, dinger. I think we we've gone a little bit off the shits in this nice episode. Let's leave it at that. Uh, why don't you tell everyone about our new Twitter page that you started? All right. So we have a new Twitter handle that we just created, a totally uncalled for Twitter. And it is at T-U-F, all caps, podcast. We just started the Twitter. We only have one current tweet, but we will be sure to provide you with great memes, funny comments before and after games, our picks, et cetera, et cetera. And we're just excited to come into the new year with a bunch of new stuff for you guys. Definitely. So give us a follow, subscribe to our page. Make sure you don't miss out on any of our posts. So you won't miss out on any of the latest and greatest content, our picks and all the like. Thank you again for listening. This was totally uncalled for. I'm your boy, Jack, with my boy, Dinger. We out. Peace.